Good morning, everybody. Happy to be with you all this morning. Let's get right into the Bible. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we find ourselves, and we are in the midst of this little mini-series called Heart Conditions. We're looking at Matthew uh, 1 through, or Matthew 13, 1 through 23. We'll take four weeks to do so. The parable of the sower, sometimes called the parable of the soils. Last week, we started this series by talking about the, sh- the hard heart. Today is the rocky heart or the shallow heart. Last week, if you weren't here, you might want to get that message because they're kind of interdependent. Uh, we talked about what a parable is last week. We defined that, uh, how Jesus used them often as a way to compare two things, to say this is like that, the kingdom of God is like. We also talked about Jesus' purposes in both revealing and concealing truth by using parables. So that was an interesting little part of last week's text. You want to get that message if you weren't here. And in the middle of our text is that section that sort of explains that. So we won't read the middle of our text. We'll just read the first part and the last part where Jesus kind of lays out, um, gives us a parable, and then tells us what it means. So, Matthew 13, we'll read verses 1 through 9, and then skip to verse 18. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun since they didn't have deep roots. They died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Skip now to uh, verse 18, excuse me, where Jesus gives us the explanation. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable of the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. We dealt with that last week. Verse 20. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represented those who hear God's words, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and no fruit is produced. That'll be next week. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your word, as we always do. We love your word. We're thankful for the truth of your word, the power of your word. We're so grateful in this crazy world, in this insane time, to have the clear 
inerrant, infallible, living, active truth of the Word of God. Thank you, God, for your Word. Pray that you would stir up in our church a continual hunger for your Word, that we would feast upon your Word, that we would rejoice in hearing your Word and go deep into its truths, and that we would have hearts and minds to obey your Word, and hearts that are open to let your Word do a great work in us, even this morning as we listen. So please, Lord, give us open hearts. Give us open minds. Help us to understand. Help me to teach and preach. Lord, I think I drank too much coffee this morning. Uh, so settle, settle my physical body. And may your Holy Spirit rule and reign in this time. We ask it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Too much coffee. Anybody know about that? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> I need some protein or something. Someone throw some peanut butter at me. <clears throat> okay, so... Obviously, these four soils that Jesus references are representative of four conditions that we sometimes find our hearts in as followers of Jesus. So four different heart conditions. The hard heart, right, represented by the pathway that we talked about last week. The rocky or shallow heart, what we're talking about today. The crowded heart next week. And the good heart. Now, as we mentioned last week, I think that as life ebbs and flows and so does sort of our pursuit of God, we can find ourselves in different midst of these heart conditions at different times. It's not as though you just are in one heart state and you're always in that state. It's not as though you just somehow work from hard through rocky through crowded and you get to good and then you always stay good and you don't have to worry about it anymore. As life happens, as we follow Jesus... As things unfold, we experience these different states from time to time. And last week we talked about the fact that our hearts are often hard because they are too often traveled and trampled by, do you remember the three things? Untruths, our own rebellion, and the pain of life. Those things can sometimes leave us with hard hearts. We diagnosed that. We looked at that. We gave some remedies from scripture for addressing those things. And today's a little different because there's still some hardness represented in the text, but it isn't this blanket surface like hard heart situation. It's more like hard places deeper down in there. There's some soil, some good soil on the top, but, but deeper down in, there's these hard spots. Rocky is the representation. Hard spaces down underneath. Again, verses 20 and 21, just so it's real fresh in our mind. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Okay, so there's, there's a good, soft, receptive part of the heart there. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing the word. So things started well or start well with this heart condition. They hear the message, they hear the word, they agree with God's word, responding to God's word, they begin to be nourished on God's word. God's word is having an effect and growth is happening all as well. Receive it with joy. But then something happens that always happens. Problems come up, right? That, that always happens. That's not an if, that's a when. 
Problems arise, and this is where things go wrong. We are always going to encounter problems in this life. Yeah, I, I don't know if anybody ever told you, like, just become a Christian and all your problems will go away. If anybody ever told you that, they were liars, never read the Bible, and they were dumb. And they haven't lived very long as Christians. Like, that's just not true. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in some way, when we become Christians, in some ways, our troubles increase because we now find ourselves as members of sons and daughters of a kingdom that is in conflict with the kingdom of this world. So we almost have more troubles, right? You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes they manifest themselves in the form of persecution for believing the word. Now, that might be foreign to more of us. We're, we're all going to have problems. I don't know if we'll all experience persecution, at least to a significant degree. Persecution is kind of relative. But, you know, we have some missionaries here this morning that have done ministry in closed countries. They've known real persecution, like real, real danger, danger of life. Paul said, indeed, when he wrote to Timothy, all those who desire to live godly lives will experience persecution. So the more that we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more we will experience persecution because the more our conflict with the kingdom of this world is evident, right? The more sort of salty and light we are, and that's going to create and exacerbate some opposition, and we'll experience that. So maybe you're like on the foreign mission field in a closed place and persecution is super real or maybe you are super godly and you're so contrary to this world because you're so much like Jesus, there's persecution. That's not me, but maybe it's you. I wish it was me. Or maybe you just find that this culture is increasingly anti-Christ and the more you believe in God's word, the more you will experience persecution. And that's exactly what it says there. Those who encounter persecution for believing God's word. You believe what God's word says about the exclusivity of Christ, there's going to be opposition. You believe what God's word says about generosity and refugees and sexuality and marriage and the sanctity of life, there's going to be opposition. All these key issues in our world right now, if you believe God's word about those and, and you stand on that, you don't just cave to culture and you just don't cocoon away and hide and not let anybody know what you believe, you might experience some real, true persecution. So some of us will experience persecution. We will all experience problems, but not all of us will fall away. Notice what's going on in the text. Everything started well, but then when problems came or persecution arise, this heart falls away. It doesn't have deep roots, doesn't last long. We'll all experience problems and perhaps persecution, but not all of us will fall away. Some of us will actually stand firm and persevere through problems and persecution. So what makes the difference? Why is this heart represented in the parable here susceptible to falling away when hard times come? Well, the first thing we need to understand is this. The problem is not the problems. Okay, the problem is not the problems. The difficulty is not trouble. That's not the issue. Scripture says, as I already alluded to, that trouble in this lifetime is to be expected. Problems, affliction, difficulties, 
storms, those are to be expected. And scripture says that they can actually be good. New Testament is explicit about that. Look what James says. Very very difficult when you're in difficult times. But dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Oh man, that's, that's hard. That's easy to say when you don't have any troubles. But when real trouble comes your way, you're like, James, you are such a jerk. And if you read James, he was a pretty tough guy. But anyway, it's God's word nonetheless. For you know that when your faith is tested, okay, hold on. Now the word of God has revealed to us that there is something behind greater than something else going on than just troubles in this life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a Christian, you are his. And now everything that happens in your life has meaning in Christ. You are his. Nothing is wasted. You've been redeemed. You're his beloved. He's brought you to himself. You're in his kingdom. And so now, even our hard times have this significance because God is working. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? Your second favorite verse. Probably have that tattoo. For you know that when your faith is tested, here we go, your endurance has a chance to grow. So endurance is key. So let it grow. Okay, see this connecting now with a metaphor of the seed and the soil and the roots? So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. The idea there is like mature and fully formed in Christ and complete, needing nothing. Now the end part sounds really attractive to us perfect or mature, complete, needing nothing. I want to get to that place. I want to live in that space. But the way to get there is by letting the difficulties of life do their work in us by the Spirit of God. That's a different mindset, right? That's, there's some real commitment there. Let it grow. Let the purposes of God be accomplished in you. Look what Peter wrote. <clears throat> Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. There's that thing again. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Now, this is a little persecution-oriented. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. Glory and of God. That sounds good. The end sounds good again. The spirit of glory and of God resting on me. I want that. I want to live in that space. But what's on the road to that space? Some trials, some testings, some persecution in context there. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, Part of why there is value in suffering in the life of the Christians, of Christians, excuse me, is because of God's promise to be with us in difficult times. All right, look at this passage. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Key phrase, underline that in your Bible. The source of all comfort. Just let me, just let me just pause right there and look at me. 
man, I find myself looking, myself, there are a few of me, my friends say. <laughs> I, I knew it, fundraising. I find, I'll just roll with it, I find myself looking for comfort in all sorts of places sometimes. You know what I mean? It says here in Holy Scripture that God is the source of all comfort. I often find myself with, yeah, I know, but I I just need this, or I I just need that to cope, or if I could just burn off some steam that way, or if I only had this thing, or if I was just free from that burden. Let's take some faith, some pressing in. God is the source of all comfort. Think about the way some of our habits might change if we really by faith laid hold of that and believe that. And when we, instead of going to that thing that we sometimes go to, to cope, whatever that is, what if we just first went to God and just in faith prayed, God, I believe that you are the source of all comfort and I need comfort right now. Please help me. What if we at least prayed that a couple times before we went to that thing, whatever your thing is? I don't know. Try it this week. Report back next week. See how it goes. Look what it says. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Someone say amen. Amen. Thank you, God. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Pause right there. Again, I'm so chatty today. Too much coffee. See how the totality of our lives is brought under the sovereignty of God and the love of Christ when we put our faith in him. All of our troubles. Nothing is too small. Nothing is trivial before God. Right? He formed you in your mama's wombs. wombs. He knows your comings and your going. He knows you infinitely and intimately. He'll comfort you in all your troubles. Nothing's too small to bring to the Lord and nothing's too big so that we can comfort others. That's cool. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That's cool. Now, our experience with God is going into our life with others. That's the church. Now look at verse five. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Now I like the end again. The more he will shower us with his comfort through Christ. I like the end again. I don't like the road to get there. Suffering. But those are Bible promises. That is the true Word of God, that God will be present with us and comfort us in our difficult times in a way that is redemptive and enriching. Redemptive and enriching. So we could actually look back on some trials and say, that was really a bummer, but that was really good for me. And there's a new quality that's come into my life by the work of the Holy Spirit as I trusted Jesus through those difficult times. His presence will always be redemptive and enriching. We're playing with the metaphor of soil, right? It will enrich that soil. Look what Peter wrote also. After you have suffered suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, I like the end of that again. Christ himself, not some silly pastor, not some other person, not some emissary, not some angel. Christ himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish me and need that in my life. Right, but what's on the road there? Same thing. 
after you have suffered for a little while. How long is a little while? Too long. long. (laughs) It's too long. God is outside of time and space. His whole concept of a little while is messed up. It's not our concept of a little while. It's always too long. But God is faithful. Romans, familiar passage here. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Right? Parallel passage to James here. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now I like the end of that, but I don't like the road. But our faith in God's word and God's work and our understanding of the end actually allows us to see difficulties in a different way, right? It's no longer only why me, but rather what God are you doing in this? What God do you want to accomplish in this? How are you going to bring a new richness and depth and quality to my life through this. If we just live in why me and when will it end, we might miss the purpose of God in it. If we never go to God for the comfort and the difficulty, we might miss the work that he wants to accomplish. If we always go to some other coping mechanism, something to numb it, if we're always just looking for a way to get out from underneath it and we never turn to God and say, God, what is it that you're doing in my life as one who loves me and is sovereign and is for me? And please help me. There's something rich and wonderful to be discovered there. Look what the psalmist said way back in Psalm 119, our favorite psalm. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's hardcore, right? Fifi, my daughter, she'll be three in March. Um, She didn't have the terrible twos, but she's getting to the crazy threes pretty quickly here. She was really sweet when she turned two. She's still really sweet, but you know, she's got like a pretty strong will these days. And so we have discovered uh, the joy of the spoon. The spoon. I, I know that's not popular in our culture, but I spare the rod, spoil the child. This is a true thing. We've discovered the spoil of the spoon. The spoil of the spoon, the, the, the power, the power, I'll say, the power of the spoon. Now, haven't had to use the spoon yet. Just the threat of the spoon. Somehow she intuitively understands, like, what might happen with that spoon. Maybe it's in her DNA, because my mom used to break wooden spoons on my butt. Break them. So somehow we just, I, just last night, Kate's out of town. Kate's in Texas. She's been speaking at this conference in Texas. And so I, I've got the kids. So just last night, I was trying to get Fifi to eat her dinner. And she kept crawling around and doing this and throwing things. I was like, Fifi, do I need to get the spoon? She, no, daddy. <laughs> Not the spoon. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Sometimes our naughtiness is worked out and out of us through God's discipline. Sometimes that's difficulties. 
The psalmist said, gosh, I used to be really naughty, and then I was afflicted. The idea is God disciplined me in that, and now there's this richness of obedience that's come to my life. This is the picture here of of developing roots. You know what Martin Luther said? Martin Luther said, the best book in my library is affliction. Meaning better than any other book he ever read and just got head knowledge from. Difficult times in his life as he experienced the power and the presence and the work of God were what taught him most. Look what else the psalmist says. It is good for me that I got some spankings, that I might learn your statutes. Next verse. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. These are are hard words when we're going through hard times. There's a real edge to these. But these are true. And finally, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking about this idea of having deep roots. If your law had not been my delight, right? If he hadn't already gone through verse 75, I know, Lord, that your judgments are righteous. If there wasn't this trust and this faith and this hope in God's word and in God's truth, man, he would have faltered in difficult times. But God's word had come and and, and worked deep roots in him so that he persevered. Spiros Zodiades, which is a weird name, Greek name, um, said this, it's obvious. The Christian is presented in the scriptures as being joyful in tribulation since there is a deeper experience of the presence of Christ and of the kingdom of God when tribulations come. We already said that. So where I'm going with this is this. The problems are not the problem. We ask the question, Why do some fall away when problems come? Well, the problems are not the problem. The issue is how one stewards his or her heart in the midst of the problems, the afflictions, the trouble, the trials, the tribulation. They are not the problem. The issue is how we steward our hearts in the midst of those. Because as we saw, problems can actually yield deep, rich, fertile soil. Or they can create rocky, hard, resistant places. The disciples would have got this right away. Right? They're on the Sea of Galilee, right on the edge there, and Jesus is giving them this parable. And when he was talking about rocky soil, a shallow layer on top and hard rock underneath... They just looked right, that's all, that's all they ever saw. That's all that there is right immediately around the Sea of Galilee. Just rocky soil. They, they got that. And you know, in their culture, they certainly would have tried to cultivate some of that. And they knew that anytime you went to cultivate something there or you went to grow something there, they knew they would have to engage in the hard work of rock removal. They knew that right away. They got this picture. They knew any time they put something in the ground right there, they would have to engage in the hard work of rock removal. And if they did not do that, then whatever they planted would not take deep roots and it wouldn't last long. It would wither under the hot Israel sun. 
So the shallow heart, the rocky heart in the Christian is representative of the person who has failed to do or refuses to do rock removal. And so hasn't stewarded his or her heart well. Now, don't forget, we have been given new hearts. This is part of the gospel, right? We have become, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, new creations. Behold, if any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, they are new creations, old has gone, the new has come. And so we are actually given new hearts as part of this gospel promise of being changed and transformed. It's part of the new covenant. Look what Ezekiel says about this. God speaking says, I will give you a new heart. This is looking forward to the new covenant that we experience through Jesus. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Right? Or a soft, receptive heart. The juxtaposition is flesh from stone there. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's why sometimes when we're, not sometimes, all the time, unless we've really hardened our own hearts, when we're disobeying Jesus, there's that, that conflict because his spirit is in us warring against our flesh to go God's way. But he has given us a soft heart. Now look what Proverbs says about the heart and stewarding it. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. This is really true within Christianity. We, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, being forgiven and born again, have been given new hearts that are soft and receptive to God. So guard your heart. It's a precious gift from God. And we're learning that it can be hardened. Last week, by being too traveled by untruths, by too frequently engaging in rebellion, by being trampled by pain. And now we can see that troubles can either yield deep, rich soil or hard little rocks in the heart. Guard your heart. And how sobering is that? For it determines the course of your life tone and the tenor and the flavor of our life. So we want to keep our hearts soft to God in the midst of difficult times. The psalmist, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. There it is, God's word again. And who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. There's that metaphor again. Which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now that's the same thing that the psalmist said in Psalm 119, right? If your law, Lord, had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. To, to grab a hold of the metaphor of Jesus, I would have withered under the hot Israeli sun. Wouldn't have had the roots to go down. But his commitment to God's word and the work of God's word in him by God's spirit had yielded this deep roots. So whatever the season, the hot drought of summer, he was still like a fruitful tree because he had developed deep roots through God's word. And I think that believing, 
obeying, laying hold of, going the way of God's word is the way that we steward our heart well through difficulties. Because life is just, you know, it's just going to be hard. Anybody here ever felt rejected? Only a few of you? Man, what are you all, four years old? Anybody here ever felt rejected? Yeah. Of course. You know, sometimes in life we're going to feel rejected. And if we, if, if we don't steward that well in light of God's word, different sermon, but for example, our identity in Christ, so on and so forth, we, we, we can let real bitterness begin to develop in our heart. And now we have this little stone of bitterness that's in there. This life sometimes will leave us wounded. And then we can begin to, if we don't steward our hearts well, begin to function out of a place of fear. Now, like I'm living into relationships out of a place of fear. And now I do weird things to try to please other people and try to impress other people or I withhold myself from people because I've been so wounded, I'm afraid to put it out there again and really engage in community. Sometimes you're just going to be super wronged. And if we don't steward our hearts well according to God's word and the forgiveness that we have in the gospel and so the grace that comes to us to forgive others, we can develop the stone of unforgiveness. Man, aren't the stones of unforgiveness gnarly? Those, those are gnarly little rocks in there. So we start collecting if we don't steward our hearts well in light of obeying God's word, little stones of like bitterness and fear and unforgiveness. And then it's not only that people are going to do us wrong. Like sometimes we really do wrong as well. And if we don't steward our hearts well when we do wrong in light of God's word and the gospel that says there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then we could develop stones of shame. And shame causes us to do all sorts of weird things, self-destructive things. And sometimes, you know, life just doesn't go the way that we had hoped or expected, right? Can I get a witness? So sometimes you just feel disappointed, just really disappointed. And if we don't steward that in light of God's word and God's promises, if his truth is in our delight, then we get these stones of disappointment. And life, life is just like that. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be wounded. We're going to be wronged. We're going to do wrong. And life will go wrong. Man, it's so good to remember that Jesus was also rejected. That Jesus was wounded, that Jesus was wronged, and that he takes our shame, he takes our sin, he takes our guilt, he forgives us, he washes us, he cleanses us, he restores our heart. But when we don't press into those truths, and we let those stones of bitterness, fear, unforgiveness, shame, disappointment develop in us, then they cut off the root of God's work. They cut off the root of God's work. And I want you to just kind of, I mean, I'm, I, I, maybe this is, I'm picturing my heart right now 
And I can see these little stones in there that I need to deal with. And they just cut off the deep roots that, that, that God has for us that we really need to develop. You know, I'll just be transparent with you guys. I have this stone in my heart of, uh, I mean, there's several, but I don't know what you would call it exactly. Um, I guess it's doubt about not God's goodness. I guess maybe it's God's goodness. I'm just, I just have this stone in my heart of unbelief about God's goodness. Yeah, I think that's it. Because I just really used to believe like God is good all the time. God is good. And I, I, I still believe that, but I find that it's easier to believe it for other people and other things. But since my daughter died of cancer, as you all know, I just really struggle with that. I still believe, like I believe God's word. I believe he's good, but I have this stone in my heart that prevents the root of his goodness from going super deep. So I guess it causes me to live out of fear a little bit. I'm always thinking like, okay, so is this when something bad happens again? And I live out of fear for my my daughter Fifi, her health. Like, is she going to get cancer too? That's not what God has for me. But that stone is there. I need to deal with that stone. Do you have any stones? Places that maybe the Holy Spirit would help you begin to identify and say, gosh, I got to deal with that because it's preventing some deep work of God in me. And I think dealing with those stones is just like the hard, long work of prayer right? And repentance. Really pressing into God. Like, I need to repent of that stone that's in there. And as my sister just mentioned, it is the receiving and the giving of grace we really got to lay into to begin to remove the stones from the soil. And here's something that I think we awesome, awesome, often miss the power of. And that is the power of confession. Here's where we'll end. Just give me two minutes on this. The power of confession. I think sometimes we miss out on the grace of God and his gracious work in our lives because we refuse to just like confess and acknowledge that that stony wrong thing is there. And confession is key. Confession is like doorway, as we know in the gospel, to forgiveness, but it's also a doorway to healing as we continue to follow Jesus. Right? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So part of the gospel experience is being willing to confess our sins. No one gets saved until they're willing to confess, I'm, I'm a sinner with sins and I need to repent. So confession is key for forgiveness, but confession is also key for healing. 
And confession in the Christian life is not just a one-time thing, like, oh, I already confessed. I raised my hand like I'm good, I'm done. Right? Because life happens. And stones develop. And I think acknowledging and confessing those things. Now, let me, let me try to humbly give us a couple points on confession. It's not always effective enough to just kind of confess something in our mind. You know what I mean? Now, I don't mean from God's end. God hears, he knows what's going on in your little cabeza. He, he understands, and he might do a deep work through that. But sometimes if we just kind of conjure something in our minds and say, oh, yeah, I kind of confess that, Lord. It's not that God won't do something. It's that we're not really giving ourselves to the deep work of what God wants to do. So I have found real power in verbalizing confession. It's one thing to say it in your mind. It's another thing to say it out loud. God, I confess that I, but you know where I have found even more power is in writing it down. Maybe it's just me. You know, I, I started, um, thank you, journaling. Where my daughter was dying, it's just a way to like survive. You know, I would just read the Bible and then just journal. And I found that when I started writing out my, my, my particular sin, when I started writing out, God, I confess this, and not just, oh God, I confess that I do some bad things, but when I started like naming it, there was this power that came into that transaction. Again, it wasn't because God won't hear us if we just pray it in our heart or our mind or whatever, but it was more like I was giving myself more to what God wanted to do by really naming it and writing it down. And you know what I saw happen in my life? I saw an exponential increase of healing and the fruit of obedience as opposed just to the quick in my mind, oh yeah, I do that, oh, I confess that God. I don't know, maybe it's just me. I think there's something to that. I think there's something to when the psalmist said, on your word, I meditate day and night. For me, that's a way of doing that, is writing these things out. Now, let's press it a little further. It's one thing to do it in your mind. It's one thing to verbalize it, maybe more power in that. Another thing to write it down, but it's another thing to say it to someone else. Look at the power that God's word has said is in that. James chapter five. Here's that hard-nosed guy again, James. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, I like that last part. I don't like that first part. (laughs) Confess your sins to each other. Now, this isn't for gospel forgiveness, right? We, there's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. We can, 1 John 1, 9, we can confess our sins to God. He forgives us. This is for gospel community healing. This is us going deeper, roots going down, pursuing healing. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, look what it says. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person. Now, it'd be easy for us to disqualify ourselves and say, well, I'm not very righteous, so my prayers aren't very powerful. All of our righteousness is in Christ. So if Christ's righteousness is yours, how much righteousness is there in you because of Christ, then how much power is in our prayers? 
Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results for our healing, for our well-being, for the deepening of our roots, for the removal of stones. Look at the illustration he gives us from the Old Testament. Elijah was a human just like we are. That means he had errors and faults and sin and rebellion and inconsistencies. And yet he was loved by God. It says, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. There's that imagery again. So I think that sometimes the stones persist because we haven't fully given ourselves to this thing of confession as a Christian practice or neglect of it. And particularly telling each other. And don't underestimate the power. Look at the power in that passage. There's promise of healing there and of effective prayer. So what if we were a church that looked like the Bible in this instance? What if we actually would like confess our sins to one another and pray for one another? That's vulnerable. That means we have to choose to like not judge each other in that moment, not think that we're better than, right? We got to confess to one another and then pray for one another. What, what if we did that? Like, what if we did that today? What if we did that right now? Let's do it. <laughs> My college students, they're bold. They haven't been married yet. I see some of you sitting next to your wife. You're like, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing that, honey. You should go hook up with her over there. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's take a couple minutes. Now, <clears throat> having said, if, if, you, if you're not comfortable doing it, you, you don't have to do it. But it's the Bible. <laughs> Remember this. Hebrews chapter 12. Th- Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, talking about those men and women in Hebrews 11, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us off, up, excuse me, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, who, because of the joy awaiting him, endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor besides God's throne, beside God's throne, excuse me. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. So that's simply an encouragement. Like, listen, keep your eyes on Jesus who went all the way to the cross, even though he was falsely accused, sinned against, wronged, so on and so forth, disregarded the shame. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who's gone there and done it for us. And let's just, then let's try this. Let's, I don't know, is it too much to say, let's take a few minutes before the band comes up? And how about this? To whatever degree you feel the grace of God this morning, confess some stones. I just confessed my stones before 500 people. Like you can muster something, (laughs) something. So maybe it'll just be in your mind. Maybe God will give you grace to write it down. Maybe you can verbalize it in a prayer. Maybe you can confess your sins to one another. We'll just give you like three minutes to do that and then I'll pray a blessing and then the band will come up. Cool? Let's try it.